0: Hello again, Fight fans. Welcome back to the Neutral Corner. This is episode number 116 of TNC. Uh, before we get started, guys, a couple reminders. For starters, I was on NBC Sports Radio again last night on the Dave Smith show. Uh, love doing the weekend show with him because on the weekends that show that he does is coast to coast in like 500 different markets because Monday through Friday on Sports Talk Radio, it's usually local Sports Talk Radio, but on the weekend, they go to the national shows. And uh, he's, he, does the, he does shows during the week, but he also does a Sunday show. So I went on there and talked a little bit about the uh, Canelo-Golovkin situation and about the heavyweight division. So I will try to get a video posted within the next day or two. I did two segments on the show and I'll get that posted on the channel soon. Also guys, as I remind you every week, go to the Apple Podcast, iTunes, look up the neutral corner, give us a like, a review, a rating, all that good stuff and follow the show. All right guys, let's get right into it with news and notes. All right, so unless you've been sleeping under a rock since Friday, you know that Canelo Alvarez has been temporarily suspended by the Nevada State Athletic Commission and that they're supposed to have a hearing on April 10th to decide his fate and the fate of the rematch with Gennady Golovkin, which is almost sold out already. And as I told you guys, there are millions of dollars put up, not just by fans in the casinos and everything else. It's just when you do a fight in Vegas there's millions of dollars propped up from the jump. There, all the whales are involved, the whole town's involved, and of course that's the casinos, the bookies, the whole industry, that whole gaming industry is involved. And given all that, you'd have to think that the fight is still gonna come off on May 5th, but perhaps it will get delayed and, and pushed back to September around the Mexican Independence Day, which I think is Sunday the 16th this year, or maybe Sunday, 17th correct me if i'm wrong but right in around that weekend on saturday they'd push the fight back to there so look i did a, a rant video where i talked about that and i gave my thoughts on what i would do if i was advising the commission uh some of you want to see canelo banned for life or suspended for two years now look i mean if they have more evidence and there's more information maybe it warrants that but at this point with what we have uh, if there is no additional information, I think you know maybe a six-month suspension and a heavy fine and a testing program that continues. Uh, he's already in testing, but continues on in, into uh, the rematch and further, like for a whole year, basically the same way that guys like Povetkin, Brown, Stavern were treated when they popped positive. For Povetkin and, and Brown, when they popped positive the first time they were kind of put on that probation right and they were eventually sanctioned for an interim fight they were uh, had this for a year had to do additional testing that they paid for etc cetera, etc cetera. so I think we might get some kind of scenario like that maybe there's additional information and the fight still goes ahead maybe it doesn't we won't know till April 10th now, for the record I haven't heard anything okay I know a bunch of you guys have asked me what if I heard Everybody's being extremely tight-lipped about this. I don't expect too much information to be leaked out. I'm just hoping that after April 10th, there's some sort of clarity from the commission, from VADA, from everybody involved, and all the information is made public. They're transparent with the media and the fans. That's the way to handle this damn thing. Um, So look, if the fight does go through May 5th, and you're pissed off about that, and you don't like the way Bob Bennett handles this situation, guys you have the power and here's how you fight back you don't go to the damn fight if you've already bought tickets and you've already invested in this event and you it really it means that much to you that the, the way that this thing was handled if it if it doesn't meet your personal uh, requirements which you want to see done sell your damn tickets don't buy the pay-per-view of course you want to watch it you're still a boxing fan stream it stream it illegally right That's going to hit Golden Boy in their pockets. That's going to hit Canelo in his pockets. That's going to hit Golovkin and Tom Loeffler in their pockets as well. It's going to hit HBO in their pockets. It's going to hit everybody involved. If you don't go to Vegas that weekend, whether you're going to go and attend the fight or just go and be in town and watch it live circuit, whatever, close circuit, don't go. Don't give them your money. And that's how you fight back. That's the only way you can fight back. Just remember, guys, there are ways to watch these fights now for free, right? So you have the power. Now, I mentioned my rant video. Go check that out and what I think would happen, what I would do if I was advising uh, Bob Bennett. And, of course, with, with this whole thing, the ESPN gang and all the mainstream sports media outlets were talking about this. I mean, that's part of the reason I was on NBC Sports Radio last night, right? Everybody's interested in this. I did find it interesting. A few of you guys have sent me the link to uh, the first take show that Stephen A. Smith does with Max Kellerman. Stephen A. Smith should just stop talking boxing. Just let Max do it. Not that I agree with a lot of the things Max says and his commentary on HBO has really got worse, in my opinion, recently. But uh, at least Max knows the sport. I mean, Stephen A. Smith just doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. But Stephen A. Smith and other people have kind of – made this temporary suspension and possibly the fight's not going to happen and all this. They've made this Gennady Golovkin's fault in a way because he spoke up. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. That's just stupid. How, how do you. He is going to speak his mind and him speaking his mind got results because Bob Bennett, and again, maybe it had nothing to do with what Golovkin said. Maybe it had everything to do with what Golovkin said. I think it at least partially influenced their decision to have this April 10th hearing and do a suspension. Good for Golovkin for speaking up and speaking his mind. More fighters should do it. And it put the pressure on people to act. For Stephen A. Smith to say that Golovkin should not have spoken up, and he's not the only one. I've seen a bunch of you guys on Twitter. Some of you guys commented on my rant video about this thing saying Golovkin should have kept his mouth shut. Guys, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. If you honestly... In your heart felt, regardless if you had irrefutable evidence or not, if you felt that you were being wronged and and, and your opponent was cheating and you felt the system was cheating you, and I agree with Golovkin Foley on that, uh, you you should speak up. He has the right to do that. This is America. We have freedom of speech here. At least we used to. So um, I, I just think Stephen A. Smith, his take on this, his first take, quote unquote, on this is stupid. And, well, there's a lot of stupid opinions out there. And, you know, there's a lot of you who don't agree with my opinions on this whole situation. So, whatever. We all have our opinions, and we'll find out what happens April 10th. Dan Raphael, speaking of ESPN, he's the one who should be on first take talking about boxing, not the other two jokers. But uh, he made some good points on Twitter today. And I don't agree with everything Dan Raphael says or how he says it and everything like that. But uh, I don't usually agree with his take on fights. But he made a couple of good points on Twitter. He said, look, that white-brown card that HBO picked up, they didn't mention the Canelo-Golovkin fight once. There were zero promos. That's your biggest event of the year. They did no promos. They did not mention it once. Canelo-Golovkin 2 is officially off HBO's schedule right now. It's off their schedule of upcoming events. So that tells you that they're taking this shit seriously, this suspension. So this is not just a gesture. And I understand why a lot of people would see it as such. I get it, guys. I could be pessimistic, too. I can look at these things and just look at the recent history of the Nevada Commission and just boxing in general and think, yeah, this is just... Uh, gesture for the fans there's gonna be a slap on the wrist a fine and the fight goes ahead May 5th and that very well still might happen I would lean toward that happening if I had to bet I would bet on that happening but this is serious shit this is nothing to just joke at when HBO takes it off their schedule and they don't promote the fight they stop promoting it that tells me that there's something to this there's some teeth to this so uh, for those of you who don't know how this thing is handled there are five commissioners who will vote after the hearing on what to do. Bob Bennett has influence. He is the director of the commission. But as far as I know, he doesn't have an official vote. There's these five commission officials who will do the voting. Uh, Raphael made another good point that um, he said, look, the Nevada Commission declined to license Mike Tyson a couple decades back when he had issues. And uh, that pushed that fight with Onyx Lewis and Mike Tyson, the biggest fight in the sport in some time to Memphis, Tennessee of all places. Here's an important distinction though. That was a completely different commission. That was Mark Ratner who ran the commission from 92 to 2006. And then the commission went over to Keith Kaiser from 2006 to 2014, and now it's in Bob Bennett's hands. So it's a completely different commission and a completely different era in the sport. And Vegas had made tons of money off Tyson uh, in that era already, so they were good to go. And there were other stars that they had that they could make money with. So um, right now, Canelo's the huge major star bringing mad, mad money into Vegas, and he's pretty much the only big one. I mean, really think about it. Anthony Joshua hasn't come o- come over to Vegas yet. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, who knows what he's going to do? And I, you know, unless he fights some huge name in MMA or something, it's not going to bring huge, huge money in. UFC is struggling as a whole right now. Their ratings and viewership and everything is way, way down. Boxing's really winning, beating them out, especially globally. But even in America right now, so there's really no other star bringing money into that commission at the rate Canelo Alvarez is. So think about that for a second. I think that's going to have an influence here. Of course, we're going to be talking more about this over the the coming weeks until April 10th, and we'll see what happens. For now, I mean, that's pretty much the news and notes, guys. I mean, that's dominating the news when it comes to boxing. So uh, let's get into the review of what took place in the ring last week. Thursday, March 22nd, at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. It was another Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN card and, uh, you know, not the greatest card on our on planet Earth, um, but it was an entertaining main event for as long as it lasted. Ryan Garcia scores a first-round knockout over Fernando Vargas. Dropped Vargas with a nice right-hand left hook combo. It was nice and crisp. He threw it with proper leverage for a tall, long fighter like he is. Nice KO. It was a nice Sports Center highlight-worthy KO against the guy that had shown, you know, he was pretty, pretty durable uh, up until that point. He had shown um, that he was a good quality fighter. Fernando Vargas is a, you know, he's, he's, I'm not calling him elite. He's a gatekeeper level fighter, but he is uh, a, a guy with experience and knows how to take care of himself in there. So good performance by Fernando Vargas, I guess at this stage of his career, he's 19 is turning 20 in August, but I think everyone's fallen in love a little too much with this kid a little too fast, including himself. Now look, he was the i think—he was the ESPN prospect of the year last year. He was among my top prospects last year as well. He might've been my top prospect pick too. I can't remember off the top of my head, but the kid's definitely feeling himself a little bit too much at this point. And we need to pump the brakes with all the comparisons to Oscar De La Hoya. Uh, this guy did not have Oscar De La Hoya's amateur career. And doesn't have just with the eye test the same skill set as far as uh, taking care of himself. I see absolutely no head movement. I see him moving in straight lines, straight forward and backward. That works against guys who are almost a foot shorter than you. Uh, you know, guys, you have much longer arms. You have better hand speed. He had uh, better hand speed than Vargas. That works right now. The kid's five foot ten. He's fighting in a hundred and thirty pound division he's going to have a height advantage against just about everybody. So he can use that height and everything right now at this level. But again, turning 20 later this year, at some point, he's going to move up in weight. This kid's going to be at 140 pounds during the prime years of his career. And that power is not going to go up to 140 the same way. So he's going to have to develop some boxing skills and learn how to move his head a little bit, to use angles a little bit, to bend at the waist a little bit more. He's a little too straight up for me at times. He's got to start developing all that stuff, or he is an upset special waiting to happen. Now at this point of his career, he looks great though, right? Doing what he's supposed to do against this level of opponent. And then some uh, right now at this stage of his career, golden boy, you know, the fight was over so quick, you know, the ESPN crew had Kingry and that's what they call or King Rai, sorry, that uh they had him go over to the booth with uh Bernardo Ursuna and um and you know, just talk about the fights, and and you know, he, I want to say it was like a ten minute segment where he's sitting there talking about his fight. They played back the round. You talked about the knockout. They showed a bunch of girls in the crowd screaming and taking pictures and videos with their phones. So it was a very good promotional event for him at this stage of his career. But let's stop the comparisons to Oscar De La Hoya. He is nowhere near that right, just quite yet. Okay, good power. Good power, punching down at guys who are like a foot shorter than him. But other than that, let's pump the brakes. All right. Friday, March 23rd from the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida. Raymar Gaballo, or it's Gaballo. I don't know. He's a Filipino, so, you know, they have a Spanish heritage there with the language. I'm going to say that last name is Gaballo. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Scores a unanimous decision over Stefan Young. Wins an interim bantamweight title it's actually the wba interim bantamweight title never mind that ryan Burnett is the super wba bantamweight champion and he's fighting a venezuelan fighter uh, this weekend actually i'll talk about that in cardiff never mind that jamie mcdonnell is the regular wba bantamweight champion and he's fighting noya inouye may 25th in tokyo Never mind any of that. For some reason, the WBA wanted to sanction this particular fight for an interim title. So, look, uh, good good for Gabayo, now he's got a piece of a title, but I talked about Burnett who's much further along. I talked about McDonald who's much further along. Obviously, I think McDonald's going to lose that title to Anouye uh, May 25th, but Burnett's going to hold a piece of it and so is OUA at some point. Does anyone think Mark Gabayo is ready for either of those guys. I sure as hell don't. But that's the WBA, who I'm going to be talking a lot about in this episode, coincidentally. Saturday, March 24th in France. French-Armenian fighter Arsene Goulomirian. <laughs> Holy shit. All right, let me try this again. Goulomirian. Um, I know I'm slaughtering that name, guys, so please help me with it. Arson G, let's just call him Arson G, French French Armenian fighter, wins a vacant WBA cruiserweight title. Back to the WBA with their various titles. How pathetic is this sanctioning organization, man? We just had, just last month, Murat Gassiev, Junior Dorticos, fight in a, in a bout that unified the WBA and IBF cruiserweight titles. Is there any denying that Murat Gassiev is the real, quote-unquote, WBA champion. He's also the IBF champion. But is there any doubt why would you need a month later to sanction a fight with this Arsene G, this French-Armenian, who looked good, scored an emphatic knockout win, okay, but he's not a top-10 cruiserweight yet. He's on the bubble, and we talked about it on the Ring's rating committee. We were actually talking about it this week. Uh, some, or this weekend, I should say, some emails going back and forth about this guy, you know, and we're looking at him, but we don't yet rate him at the top 10. He's kind of on the bubble with this performance. He's on the radar now. But why do you sanction this if you're the WBA for a vacant title for any other reason other than to get a sanctioning fee? Remember a few years ago when the WBA said they were going to consolidate all of these titles? Remember when some of you gave me a lot of shit on Twitter, and here on YouTube and my channel because I said that that was a crock of shit. And Gilberto Mendoza had absolutely no designs on unifying those titles. It was just an empty gesture. Remember that? Where are you guys now? Yeah, funny how that shit works. You guys always disappear when you're proven wrong. You always disappear. Okay, in Hamburg, Germany, last Saturday, uh, (laughs) WBA, (laughs) Tyrone Zuge, Third defense of his WBA super middleweight title. So this guy, look, he's a top 10 super middleweight, not the deepest division in the world. But let's look at this guy's title run, okay? He fought Giovanni Carli's twice. And the first one was a draw, and that was for the title. The second one, he scores a KO in the 12th round, wins the title. From that point now, he's fought Isaac Ekpo twice. They fought once. I want to say last year, then this this fight last weekend was a rematch, and he fought Paul Smith. Though so That's his title run. Now, George Groves is the WBA super, super middleweight champion. Does anyone in their right mind think Tyrone Zuge is on the level of George Groves at this point? Groves has proven so much more with what he's done. Why? I, I'm just... I don't know. I don't know what the, the end game is here. Uh, Groves, of course, he's fighting in the Super 6. Super 6. The World Boxing Super Series uh, finals later this year. I guess, does Tyrone Zuz, does he eventually get a shot at the winner of that tournament? I guess we'll find out. There's the WBA and their multiple titles. I just hate it. It's so stupid. And some of you will be like, Some of you will defend them and say, but but that's the super champion. And this is the regular champion. And when someone unifies, they're the super champion. You know, number one, it isn't always when people unify that they name someone super champion They just kind of do it when they feel like it. And their justification is they'll say, well, this champion is an exceptional champion. So we're going to make him the super champion because what he's done is so great. Whether he's unifying titles or dominant performances, maybe he's been the champion for a long time, whatever. If he's so freaking super, why are you sanctioning an interim and a regular champion and all these other champions? If this dude is so super and you're calling him the super champion of a division, you shouldn't need other champions. It doesn't make sense. It just defies logic. Also on that card, uh, Carol Murat wins a minor light heavyweight title. But obviously the big card last Saturday... What everyone was watching it was in O2 Arena in London. This was a matchroom card. And HBO picked up the main event. On the undercard of the white-brown card, uh, lightweight Lewis Ritson scored a TKO2 over Scott Cardle. And that was a fun little two rounds between those two, man. A uh, lot of lot of entertaining uh, action there. That was the third defense of Ritson's BBBFC British lightweight title. Also, light heavyweight Callum Johnson scored a TKO-1 over Frank Buglione. This was a really, really good kind of coming out party for Callum Johnson. Now has the of C and Commonwealth light heavyweight titles. So he's a guy that people are keeping an eye on now in that division. That light heavyweight division is heating up, man. There's just more and more guys coming up in that division right now. Also, Derek Chisora stayed busy with a TKO-2 win on the undercard. Let's talk about the main event. Dillian White KO's Lucas Brown, the sixth, uh, the first defense of his WBC silver heavyweight title. Brown was cut in the first round. I can't remember which eye it was, man. I Just off the top of my head, I want to say it was the left eye, but I can't remember. Either way, it was a bad cut, and it was just streaming blood um, throughout throughout the fight. I I mean, the corner did what they could with it, but this guy, Brown showed up looking like absolute shit. And I was really disappointed. I mean, really, really disappointed. I expected more from this fight. I thought this was going to be a fun little heavyweight scrap, uh, you know, a lower top ten tier type of heavyweight fight. And that was totally let down. And really, it's because Brown showed up looking like shit. Do I think that uh, Dillian White is you know levels and levels ahead of the best version of Lucas Brown? No. The, the version of Lucas Brown that fought Ruzlan Shigaev and, and won a title and briefly had a title in 2016 I think would have been very, very competitive and perhaps favored to beat this version of Dillian White. But when you show up to the fight, I think he weighed 264 pounds officially. But come fight night, the dude weighed 270 plus. I mean, I don't know if he went to the like a Mexican buffet friday night after the weigh-in and just just on you know unloaded just unleashed on the the kitchen staff there you know killing them for like an hour sitting at the table just eating everything in his path but he looked like shit man now sometimes you can be heavier and wear the extra weight and it doesn't look horrible but it just the the titties were sagging the gut was sagging over his trunks and he pulled his trunks up and yet the gut was still coming over it wasn't just that fupa that fat upper pussy area that guys get underneath their belly button it was like above the belly button gut hanging over i mean he really really looked like stir fried shit and at the beginning i mean the first round you could just see the writing on the wall but i was thinking to myself does he look worse than berman stavern looked against Deontay wilder you know late last year and I thought about it, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I mean, Berman Staverne w- was drunk from the first solid punch Deontay Wilder landed. He was drunk. He stayed on his feet for a little bit, but. And I know Wilder is more powerful than Dillian White, obviously, but Wilder was slapping Stavern. So, this version of Lucas Brown, as terrible as he looked, he still looked better than the version of Berman Staverne that Deontay Wilder recently beat, but not much better. And. All he could do is stay in there and get punched. Every punch he threw was a slap. And even when he connected, uh, it, get, it didn't give White any problem. So anyway, you know, by the time the knockout happened, and it was this crushing left hook, It that was a great shot, and it, it did damage. But, like, if he would have landed that punch in the first round, I think Brown would have took it. It was an accumulation of shots. And that eye was closed up, and he was dead tired. He was breathing heavy from the end of the first round was softened up and just beat up brutally for a couple rounds that fight probably could have been stopped after the fourth round definitely after the fifth round there was no need for that knockout and i know a lot of you guys out there get pissed off when fights are stopped early but would any of you have felt ripped off if this fight was stopped after the end of the fifth round you were watching a one-sided beating what was the payoff to see a guy almost die in the ring i mean he almost looked dead for a few seconds So if his corner had stepped in and stopped the fight or the ref had stopped the fight, 30 seconds before that big knockout, would you feel ripped off? I mean, honestly. The knockout was was entertaining because it was so shocking. I get that. But it's not like this was a competitive fight with two-way action and then you saw that knockout. Or like White had to come from behind like Wilder did against Ortiz and get a knockout. It wasn't that kind of knockout. It was one guy getting beat up. For six rounds. Some of those look like 10, eight rounds, honestly. And then getting knocked the hell out. Like, I just, is that really that entertaining? I don't think so. Anyway, White is 7-0 before knockouts since the loss to Anthony Joshua back in 2015. And he called out Deontay Wilder immediately after the fight. And HBO actually showed that portion of the post-fight interview uh it was entertaining like white with his british accent you know was, you know say come on Deontay. Like it's not Deontay, it's Deontay, you know the way he was saying it it was uh it was entertaining it was funny white has a good personality he's marketable these british heavyweights know how to talk they know how to sell up a fight and market a fight why wouldn't anthony or Deonte wilder fight him i mean he's the wbc champion white is the silver champion I'd love to see the BC mandate that fight and make it, you know, force that fight maybe to happen by the end of this year or something like that. I imagine Deontay Wilder will be back this summer in Alabama. I think Dominic Brazil is his mandatory, I believe, is the in the number one position. But then you've got Dillian White who has this silver title. So you know, it's up to the BC with all their stupidity, with all their wacky rules, to figure this out. But I've told you guys since the beginning of this damn year, actually since late last year, I told you what was going to happen here. I told you Wilder was likely going to fight Luis Ortiz in the spring or early this year. And then in the summer, get that mandatory defense in uh, probably in Alabama. Maybe it goes back to Barclays Center against uh, Brazil. And then late this year, go over to the UK, collect four, maybe $5 million, because you were offered $4 million last year for the fight and you turned it down. So maybe maybe Eddie Hearn will give you 5 million this year. Go over to the UK, fight Dillian White in front of the UK fans and build up that fight for Anthony Joshua. And right there, after you knock out Dillian White, have Anthony Joshua come up into the ring and they announce the fight right then and there. Next April, 2019, we're fighting right here at the O2 Arena. It's going to be a complete heavyweight unification. Announce it the way they announced the Joshua Klitschko fight. Something like that. It probably won't be quite as classy because, you know, Wilder's going to talk some trash, but that's his personality. But why not do that? I just think that's the right plan. That's the way it should work. And I think that's the way, if I was advising everybody involved, that's the way I would lay it out. Okay, for Lucas Brown. Uh, let's, let's step into this un- uncomfortable territory for those of you who you know don't like when I talk about this stuff because you don't like when I talk about fighters you like. You only like when I talk about fighters you don't like. But Lucas Brown fights Ruslan Shigaev, March 2016, weighs 250 pounds for that fight, gets uh, test positive for clenbuterol, week of the fight, after testing negative several times in camp. Okay. He's suspended for six months, scheduled to fight Shannon Briggs for an interim title. So again, as I talked about earlier, with as it relates to the Canelo situation right now and maybe putting him on probation, et cetera, et cetera, that's basically what the WBA did with Lucas Brown after that clenbuterol test. Six months suspension, and then he was scheduled to fight Shannon Briggs for an interim title, but he was also doing year-round testing. Test positive again, this time for Austerine. So then he's out again. So you have the Shigaya fight. He weighs 250 pounds. His next fight was against a journeyman with the record of 16 and 20 last June. He weighed 259 pounds. And then for this fight against Delian White, he weighed 264 pounds. So you follow the track record there, the inactivity, all the weight he gained, and it wasn't muscle. In fact, he lost a ton of muscle. If you looked at the way Lucas Brown looked here versus the way he looked, you know, back in 2015, back in 2016, a lot more muscle. The titties were higher. uh, The belly was flatter. The shoulders and the back and all that looked more solid and thick. He didn't have, you know, back titties like he did uh, this last Saturday. So um, look, this guy's done. He's done. He's, I believe, 39 years old. And the absolute beating he took in this fight was life-altering, I I believe. Definitely career-altering. If he wants one farewell fight in Australia, that's cool. Do that, and then it's time to punch the, the clock for the last time and call it a day. That's what's up with Lucas Brown. All right, guys, let's preview what's coming up this week. We got a big, big, big fight with the big boys to talk about. This Tuesday, March 27th, which is either tomorrow or today, depending on what part of the world you live in when this episode of TNC is released, it'll be the first of a series of Hollywood cards that are being put on by Tom Loeffler's 360 Promotions at the Avalon Theater in Hollywood. For those of you um, who hear the term or the word Avalon Theater, and it sounds familiar to you. That's because it was the location last year for the Canelo Golovkin press media event in in Hollywood. Um, I can't remember which month it was off the top of my head, but it was at the Avalon Theater in Hollywood, where they had uh, there was a red carpet and all that with Canelo with Golovkin, and then there was a premiere of a, a little short film that they did. It was a really really cool event. So uh, the Avalon has also had several boxing cards here in la over the years i remember some of the world series of boxing cards with the los angeles matadors where i got my start in the biz uh were there at the avalon they started at a different theater but eventually went over to the avalon so it's a real cool historic venue it's something like 100 years old hollywood and especially downtown la there's a we have a broadway street here in la there's a bunch of these old theaters where back when theater was the big, big thing before, you know, movies and TV took over. um, People would go see these shows and there's just rows and rows of them. And the Avalon is kind of this cool historic place where all these cool acts played and stuff like that over the years. So I think this is a cool location for what Tom Lauffalo wants to do with these Hollywood Fight Night uh, cards. Uh, I think he wants to do like three or four of them this year, kind of introductory in between all the other things he's got to deal with, with Canelo Golovkin. And then I think next year, I think this year they'll kind of be scattered. They, they won't be consistent, but I think starting next year, he wants to do like a season with these, where every month it'll be, I don't know if it'll be the first Tuesday of the month or something like that, but he wants to have like an actual season with these. And I think the idea with uh, ticket selling is to have people buy a package for like the whole season. Of it. I think that's long term what they want to do with this thing. But anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm hearing that there's an open bar for media and um, all you can eat food for media. So guess where I'm going to be at tomorrow. <laughs> I will be there reporting live. Uh, the, the card is headlined by Ryan Bluechip Martin, who's 20 and 0 with 11 knockouts. And there's a couple of other undefeated prospects, including some guys that work out uh, up at Big Bear with Abel Sanchez and Gennady Golovkin and that whole crew. I think Murat Gassiev is going to be there. Um, I, don't, I don't think you'll see Golovkin or anything like that, but I do believe Murat Gassiev will be there. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. So I'll let you guys know what the atmosphere is like there, what the crowd's like. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. But, of course, Saturday... Uh, We got a lot of action, man. Let's start um, real quick. There is a card here in the United States. It's a Golden Boy Promotions card on ESPN2, and it's being streamed on ESPN3. From the Marina Bay Sportsplex in Quincy, Massachusetts, undefeated Super Welterweight Mark DeLuca, who's from Massachusetts. He's fighting against TBA. Yeah, TBA with just a few days away from the card. That's not good. Also, undefeated middleweight Jason Quigley, the Irish fighter who uh, relocated out here to Southern California. He's been with Golden Boy Promotions his whole pro career. He's coming back off of an injury. Uh, he injured his, I want to say it was his elbow or his, his wrist, his arm in his last fight, I believe, which was last March on one of those Golden Boy on ESPN cards. So he's kind of making his comeback fight from that. So, um, That fight, that card obviously is dwarfed, not just in size, but in scope of the fight that we have over in Cardiff. Anthony Joshua fighting Joseph Parker, unifying three heavyweight titles. And you can make an argument, and I think it's a very valid argument, that this is a number one versus number three matchup in the heavyweight division. And per Ring Magazine rules, number one versus number three can be for the ring championship those of us on the ring ratings committee, we discussed it. Doug Fisher actually posed the question to us. Uh, This goes back maybe a month and asked us what we thought. And should we sanction this for the ring magazine heavyweight championship or should we hold off? We decided to hold off because everybody wants to see the Joshua Wilder fight and everyone's going to recognize that as the fight to determine the man. So we held off on that, but If Anthony Joshua beats Joseph Parker in emphatic fashion, he further solidifies himself as the clear number one guy in the heavyweight division. If it's a lackluster fight and he struggles, well, maybe you can have a case for Deontay Wilder being the number one guy. So we'll see. A lot of people think this is going to be a complete pushover of a fight. I am not so convinced. I actually think this is going to be a competitive, quality heavyweight fight. And Dave Smith, I was on a show just last night, NBC Sports Radio. We talked about this fight. Dave Smith thinks that AJ is going to blow Parker out in like three or four rounds. And I told him right there, I disagree. I I think Parker is going to look better in this fight than he's looked in a while. Parker's last three fights, he's been fighting hurt. He's had some nagging injuries. He's weighed in the mid to high 240s, and he's just kind of been sloppy. He hasn't looked very good. He's had surgery. He's back in shape. His people swear he's going to be 240 or less for this fight. So we'll see. The weigh-in is going to tell us a lot. I can tell you right now, if Parker shows up weighing 245, all right, bet the house on AJ to close this thing out within six. But if he shows up at 238, 239, 240, somewhere in that range, I'm telling you guys, we have a fight here. Parker moves in angles, side to side, uses his feet, punches in combination, goes to the body, and has shown a good chin in his career. He's also fought several tall guys. He fought uh, Razvan Kojanu. Who's six foot seven? He fought Huey Fury, who's six foot six. Alexander Dimitrenko is six foot seven. Now, none of those guys are on Anthony Joshua's level, and I'm not suggesting that, okay? But three different guys with three different styles, tall, long, at least the same height as AJ, at least the same reach as AJ. Nowhere near the skill or power. Granted, I, 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 I admit that, but still very, very good preparation. Very good preparation for for this fight for him. I mean, he's been fighting some tall guys. So then you also have Anthony Joshua, who is you know, being called out by Deontay Wilder. That's the fight everyone's talking about. Could it be possible that Joshua is looking a little bit past Joseph Parker and is looking at that Wilder fight and maybe not training as hard as he should be? You look at the great condition he was in for Vladimir Klitschko. He was in the shape of his life for that fight. And then you look at how he looked against Carlos Takam. Not quite as sharp. A little bit bigger, a little bit heavier, and not quite as sharp in that fight. So is he going to be back to the form we saw against Klitschko? And, and look, Takam is, is a tough style to fight against. Tough style to fight against. You know, I get that. But Parker fought Takam before. and looked good, Right? There was a time where these two guys were prospects coming up. And I want to say maybe, you know, a dozen fights in or so, both of their careers. Maybe it was about a dozen or so fights in, where they were being looked at on equal footing. And some people, actually myself for a little while, felt I had Joseph Parker a little further ahead. Because if you look at some of the guys they fought in the first 12 to 15 fights of their career, I thought Parker had faced the better opposition coming up than Joshua. And I thought he had looked better against that opposition than Joshua had looked against his. Because Joshua was just fighting punching bags for the most part. But then you look at the last couple years and AJ's trajectory has skyrocketed and Parker's has plateaued. And sometimes that happens. Now, does that mean, is this just who Parker is? Is he just not that good? And he's, you know, he looked great as a prospect, but he's just not much more than that. Or were these nagging injuries playing a part? Was he not training that hard? If he gets in there in, in the upper 230s or maybe even you know 240 pounds this Saturday, could he show us something that we haven't seen yet? Sometimes it takes the right opponent to bring out the best in the guy. I tell you what we have seen, we've seen him take hard shots and he's ate the punches and taken them well. He hasn't fought a guy that hits like Joshua, but he's shown a good set of whiskers. And he's also shown that he can get work done offensively when he's on his A game. He doesn't come straight in and out. He's going to come with angles. He's going to punch with odd angles. He's going to go downstairs and upstairs. So if he can get past those first few rounds and start doing some good work to the body, and he can get into the eighth, ninth, tenth round, I think we have a, a very competitive, interesting heavyweight fight here. Now, obviously... I favor AJ. I think AJ wins a decision, possible late stoppage, as long as there's no cuts or any, anything like that. We could see a twelve-round decision here. You know, Parker might be the first guy to officially take AJ to distance. Carlos Takem deserved to go to distance with AJ. That stoppage was bullshit. So I, I don't consider you know AJ's perfect knockout streak record anything. I, I think it's it, it doesn't hold up because the last fight shouldn't have been stopped. But I think if Parker, if his face holds up, he doesn't cut, and he's in the right kind of shape and determined and gets some body work done early, I really think he could go the distance. And I think he can make this fight competitive. So considering all those things, I might change my pick after the weigh-in. But just assuming he shows up in the shape, I think he will. I like him to go the distance. I like AJ by decision. And it's the, it'll be great, great experience for Anthony Joshua. It'll get him ready with that fight with Klitschko, which almost went to distance. And then Takam, which should have went to distance. And then if Parker takes him the distance, that will be great experience for him heading into his eventual fight with Alexander Povetkin, which I'll talk about in just a second. And then Deontay Wilder next year. All right. So that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, should AJ win? And I do think he will. I do think he's going to fight Povetkin next, or he's got to fight him at some point. But there's also a possibility he could fight Jarrell Big Baby Miller in New York. Miller is fighting Johan Duapas April 28th at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. If he wins that fight, Eddie Hearn has talked about it. There's been some rumblings that perhaps AJ's first fight in America will be in New York against Jarrell Big Baby Miller. I think that'd be an interesting, fun fight. I think it'd be a winnable fight for Joshua. Uh, I just think Miller would just tire late in that fight and get stopped. But I I think that that could be a good first fight. But here's the thing with Povetkin. Povetkin is fighting David Price in the co-main to this card this Saturday. Now, he won the WBA Eliminator against Christian Hammer last December. So the winner between Povetkin and Price and You know, RIP to David Price, because I like Povetkin big in this fight. He should be the mandatory for the winner between AJ and Parker. Price has been stopped in all four of his losses. In fact, he was KO'd by Hammer last February, the guy that Povetkin just beat. So, this is the perfect opponent for Povetkin who hasn't had a stoppage. Since some of his troubles uh, you know, with, with the performance enhancing drugs and the, the anti-doping violations and stuff, um, this will be the perfect knockout for him to get a stoppage, a highlight reel type stoppage against a UK fighter in front of the UK fans. And it helps build up a fight because the sanctioning body is going to mandate it for him and Anthony Joshua. It gives Eddie Hearn and AJ options. They got Jarrell, Jarrell Big Baby Miller, and then they got Alexander Povetkin and Joshua hasn't fought a mandatory yet, I don't believe. Because remember, Kubrat Pulev was a mandatory, but I still believe he, he kept his mandatory status with his injury. So I think that eventually AJ is going to have to fight a mandatory. Povetkin will be a mandatory. And all this has got to take place probably before he fights Deontay Wilder. That's why I keep telling you guys, just, just sit tight and realize that the Joshua Wilder fight is going to happen, but there's a lot of business that has to take place first. That fight will happen next year, all right? So I like Povetkin Big over Price, obviously. And then Ryan Burnett, who I talked about earlier on the show, this will be the first defense of his WBA and the second defense of his IBF bantamweight titles against a fighter from Venezuela, Fres Parejo. Uh, for Parejo, this is his first fight outside of Latin America. I think he's fought in and around Venezuela for most of his career in several different Latin American countries. But he's taken a trip uh, across the ocean and fighting in the UK for the first time. Obviously, I like Burnett big in that fight. I don't know what uh, Parejo did to, to deserve this title opportunity. Also, two 2016 Olympians. Uh, Josh Kelly is fighting veteran Carlos Molina in the 10-rounder. And Joe Cordina is fighting a 10-rounder as well. And Anthony Million Dollar Crawler is on the undercard as well. So that's it for this week, guys. Uh, A little slowdown in the schedule. You know, compared to like the start we had to the year where it felt like we were getting big, meaningful fights at some different part of the world almost every week there for a while, uh, it slowed down a little bit. But obviously, this weekend, we have a big, big heavyweight fight, man. Anthony Joshua and Joseph Parker, that is not a shit fight. That is a very, very good fight, and um, I'm excited to check that one out. So um, that's it for this week, guys, and the schedule is going to heat back up in April. So, yeah, if you haven't yet, go to the Apple Podcast iTunes, drop us a rating, a review, and tell everybody about the damn show, man. Let me know what you guys think about this uh, Canelo Golovkin thing with this April 10th meeting. Is anything going to come of this? And, and, you know, another thing I didn't, I don't think I talked about uh, Billy Joe Saunders for Canelo. Um, Billy, or for, for Golovkin, sorry. Billy Joe Saunders' team has already let Tom Loeffler know that May 5th is a no go. They, they can't make May 5th. They're not ready. But it the earliest they could fight Golovkin if the Canelo fight was canceled uh, would be June. So I, I don't know, man. I don't know if that would be possible. I think if Canelo gets suspended. I think Lovkin's probably going to sit on ice, maybe do an interim fight against a lower level rated opponent, but that's about it. Anyway, let me know what you guys think of this whole situation, and I'll see you at the fights.